Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today, we're going to talk a little bit around um, social media and the opportunities to share really important messages and why some of the messages that we're trying to share here aren't going viral yet. So I think I want to start by saying that I had a really interesting conversation around my kitchen table this week uh, with my family because I was needing a little bit of um, feedback and a little bit of emotional support. And my family members, particularly my kids, have always been my greatest critic and they're pretty real to me. They're pretty real about, you know, what works out there and what what ways that we can deliver messaging so that it can be heard um, in a good way. I can remember when my kids were really young, I used to be kind of the the school counselor in our little area in West Elgin. And and so we would always talk about anti-bullying practices and anger management strategies. And and, uh, I remember my oldest son saying to me, you know, mom, that might work in the books, but sometimes people just need to be pushed back. And um, I'll just never forget that when he was only about seven years old. He said, yeah, that might be what they tell you in the books, but that's not the way it works on the schoolyard. And then he went on to give an example of where a little person did turn to walk away and ask for the teacher to help, and he um, promptly got a rock on the back of the head. So uh, clearly that that wasn't the best (laughs) approach at that time. So again, I am honored to do the work that I do, and I'm pretty passionate about it, as you probably can gather by now. I feel very honored to walk alongside some of the most resilient and tenacious and creative and caring and compassionate and tolerant people that I've ever met, actually. And I'm often left so very inspired um, to live my best life and to, you know, work so hard and, and to continue on this path and this journey. And it's also emotional work. It can be really hard to see people struggle. It can be really hard to see um, families, you know, really be at a loss at times. And although people with um, complicated and beautiful brains, as I describe them, can be amazing and so very gifted and talented in many areas, there's also areas of their brain and their body that struggle every single day. And the struggle is very real, it's very complex, it's very misunderstood, and it's very, very prevalent. And it can, with the proper supports and information and awareness, it can be prevented. So my question around my kitchen table was, why are some of these messages not going viral? So uh, many of you may know that um, we have created a public service announcement that went out to radio. My husband happens to be uh, a pretty gifted voiceover person. I'm not sure what his proper title might be in that department, but he's also a, a musician and a country music artist. So he's got, you know, a music family that um, allowed us to create this very good public service announcement. Um, And thanks to his producer, Rick Hutt, thanks to his um, 
music distributor, Joe Wood, and and others who and the radio stations who agree to to share their their airspace, you know, to to share this really positive message. We've also created a video that allows us to share it via socials, and it's it's getting some good traction. I mean, people, I've heard some really good feedback, and it is being shared, um, and I'm grateful for that. And I realize that this message is uh, is complex and it's delicate, and there is uh, there continues to be a lot of stigma around um, overall mental health issues, certainly compounded by the use of alcohol and addictions, and certainly um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, simply because we don't know much about it. And, uh, and there's a lot of misunderstanding. So but I guess my point is, why are these messages not going viral? Because in my opinion, we all are responsible for supporting healthy pregnancies. And we all have um, the effects of prenatal exposures in our in our circles, with the prevalence rates as they are, one in 25, one in 20, have um, would have a formal FASD diagnosis, would meet criteria, which means that there are, you know, pretty significant and serious deficits in at least three brain domains. Um, so this is significant. And we know that at one in 25, we all know more than 25 people. And that is one in every classroom. And again, the prevalence rates of FASD are higher than autism, Tourette's syndrome, Down syndrome, and uh, cerebral palsy combined. But yet we don't know that. And this, again, can be prevented. So I'm here to say that I have been in this field for a very long time. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I nobody does this on purpose. However, there is resistance to hearing this very clear message. So in, in spite of our prevention efforts, I think it's really important for everyone to know that acknowledged, acknowledged drinking during pregnancy has gone up from when I started this journey, one in 13. Now we're saying it's one in seven. And we also have to consider that, that again, I've, I've highlighted that that's acknowledged use of alcohol during pregnancy, but there's a lot of people that don't even consider those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed, and we now know that makes a difference. We also know that dad's health has a role to play in terms of the health of their offspring, which makes complete sense when you think about it. But if there's been alcohol exposure, if they've been drinking, then obviously that impacts um what's what's going to happen to their developing baby as well so we're learning right and and it is really important to know that we only know what we know but we have important messages to share but yet when do you ever see a commercial on tv when do you ever see a public service announcement that talks about the risks associated with alcohol other than the fabulous job that mothers against drunk driving have done so i think you know that messaging is is amazing and it i think it has made a difference although the the statistics kind of go up and down sometimes which is still shocking to me to know that anybody would get behind the wheel um, while under the influence but it does happen and uh, I don't mean to add any more uh, stigma to that either because people do struggle with mental health and addiction issues and and some of the decisions are not easy for people to make while they're you know highly dysregulated and and ill and um and really struggling so i think that there needs to be some compassion there but also the people that i see in my clinic on a regular basis that are directly impacted by prenatal alcohol exposures and prenatal substance exposures tell me on the daily and on the reg on a regular basis that very clear and concise and accurate information needs to be shared i've had parents suggest to me that they wonder why um 
physicians or other healthcare providers have not been sued for providing wrong information in that, you know, some of my moms have been told that, yes, you can have a glass of wine every day. And that's just simply not true. And and we as healthcare providers or service providers have the responsibility to make sure that the people we support are making informed decisions. And just as recent as September of this year, I had a psychologist that working with a family that uh, dismissed the role of alcohol because in her mind, if that was the case, everybody conceived in the 70s would have FASD. And so yeah, there's some truth to the fact that alcohol use is more prevalent and has become more prevalent. Um, and we didn't know in the 70s what the risks are. But we also see an increase in our mental health conditions. And there's that's no coincidence to me. So again, going back, why aren't these messages and what can we as a very small following of this Kitchen Table Conversation podcast, what can we do about that? Um, you know, I have posted my, um, my social media, or, or I'm sorry, I've posted the video PSA uh, on my social media, and I've asked my friends to, to share it. And I have to say that every once in a while, I get a little bit disheartened, because I don't think it's shared as much as the next CD that's coming up, or sorry, that's old term, but the next new single that gets released. And I am a huge supporter of of everyone um, on my, all of my friends, whatever business they're involved in. So whether it's selling, you know, homemade crafts or activities, I try to buy local, I try to do that. And I'm not trying to make myself look like a saint, but I am supportive of my friends. If there's new music coming out, you know, I'm going to share it. If there's an event coming out, I'm going to share it as much as I possibly can. I'm asking my friends to share this really important information, but for whatever reason, it's not, it's not getting hooked. So the feedback at my kitchen table was um, kind of circling around our, in terms of our community or our culture's relationship with alcohol. And I get that. I get that um, people enjoy it. People don't like to be told what they should and shouldn't do. Um, there is a lot of perceived overreach um, in terms of some of the social policies and rules that we create. Um, but again, there's, you know, research sort of guides some of these things. And, and there is the assumption that um, people can make wise, informed decisions. And that, to me, is where the opportunity is. So I think it is important that we not dismiss the research and um, and that we recognize that, yes, we have a, an interesting relationship with alcohol. We are now learning more and more that alcohol is, you know, provides no nutritional benefits and it is, a res- you know, responsible for a lot of our health and, and uh, social welfare costs, considering physical, emotional, financial, um, you know, all of that. There's a, there's a lot of costs and there's a lot of implications. We know that now. Um, but the bottom line is alcohol is not going away anytime soon. Many of us appreciate uh, and, and would sort of consider themselves to have a, a healthier relationship with alcohol. And we also know that some people really, really struggle and that's really, really sad and um, and our mental health and addictions, you know, system is, uh, you know, inundated and uh, really, really struggling to meet the high need. So again, 
the messaging that I'm trying to share here is that um, we can make a difference because the effects of el- prenatal alcohol exposure and prenatal substance use um, exposure is directly linked to our mental health services, our special education services, our justice services, our hospital and emergency um, services, our chronic mental health services. And when you think about the prevalence rates and so few who are actually diagnosed, um, that means that people are within our system, but just not being seen or understood or supported in the best way. So what I'm proposing is not necessarily very costly and not to develop a whole bunch of new systems because we have comprehensive mental health and healthcare systems here. But the reason why they're costing so much is because they're not working. And the reason why they're not working is because, you know, the general population is 4%. By the time people are really struggling enough to go to a mental health facility or the hospital um, needing urgent um, crisis mental health care, we're not talking about a 4% prevalence rates anymore. We're talking much higher. And again, I've, I've talked about this before in previous podcasts, but you know, Google Dr. Carl Bell and what he found in his Chicago neighborhood and his Chicago um, mental health clinic. He found that closer to 50% of those entering his services for mental health support actually qualified for what would be a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So this is a hidden epidemic. And obviously, the supports need to be different when we're talking about mental health, potentially trauma, that has been compounding an existing brain trauma or brain damage. So again, I'm just here to say there are tons of opportunities. And what I get really frustrated with is not the people that I support, but the systems that are that we're working with that try to support. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in private practice, I do, I do a fee for service, which means I get paid per session. And um, I just can't get over the the system waste and the resistance to learning new things and to be more inclusive of people with complicated and beautiful brains. Uh, Working with adult therapeutic court, for example, and lawyers are unaware of why they should be recommending people with FASD to go to adult therapeutic court rather than our typical justice system, which is dumbfounding to those of us who've been in this field for a little while because we know that when we put services and supports in place that surround the individual who is struggling with impulse control issues and problem-solving abilities that their outcomes can be improved so much better than if they spend time incarcerated or in jail. So the evidence is very clear, but yet we still have lawyers that don't even consider adult therapeutic court when we mention FASD. We have social workers who are hired to work at adult therapeutic court that are reaching out to me looking for more information about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I'm taking time out of my day to do that for free because it's important, but it shouldn't be that way. People who get hired in these positions where there's a high risk of working with somebody who might be complicated should already know that before they get into the system. But again, there's a lot of reasons why this isn't happening, and um, not the least of which is that there's a, a staffing shortage and there are pay discrepancies for our mental health agencies. People, Mental health agencies are having a hard time finding 
any staff, let alone people who might see themselves as being specialized or having a little bit more information around um, complex neurodevelopmental conditions. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we don't need to be specialists in order to make a big difference. We just need to know a little bit more because when we know better, we can do better and we can actually optimize the really good services and the really good and dedicated staff members that are working within these systems. So really, when we know better, I think we can do better. So can't thank you enough for tuning in. Check out my website because I've got a few more links that talk about the urgent need. There's a newspaper, a newsletter or newspaper article, sorry, from CBC, uh, a link there describing um, terrific, horrific, pardon me, events that took place in Manitoba where a young 14-year-old was waiting for an FASD assessment and unfortunately she was killed by a 17-year-old that probably has been affected as well. You know, in the whole province, they've got three doctors offering diagnoses. The whole province of Manitoba. Um, In the state of Texas, there are no diagnostic clinics at all. I know of a family who recently had to travel from Texas to California to get three of their children diagnosed. So this is a global issue. This is not just, you know, in our neighborhoods. In Ontario, we do have more clinics, but as I said, um, fewer than 1%, 0.5% of those who would have a diagnosis actually have it. Instead, they're misdiagnosed and misunderstood with a multiple, multiple other diagnoses like autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, bipolar, mood disorders, personality disorders, and it goes on and on. Schizophrenia, you know, these people are not sitting waiting quietly in their bedrooms to be understood. They are accessing services. But again, when we know better, we can do better. So please, I encourage you, Google, um, learn a little bit more about what's going on in your communities, what's going on in your social media platform. Um, Who can we leverage um, to help us spread this really, really important word? With many thanks, Angela. Angela.